This is an adult podcast made for adults by adults. Welcome to Fake Film Fans. I know it's a Japanese film, but I promise that we don't just talk about anime. Honestly, we fight quite a lot on this episode and disagree on a lot of each other's takes. Interesting things said about our friendships, our ideas, and our understanding of the world. Lots of good stuff on this one. But first, let's listen to some posture. Welcome to Fake Film Fans, a movie podcast for thoughtful degenerates. I'm Suede Best, and I run a brothel. Hey everyone, I'm Walter. I really love Christmas. I'm super excited for it to happen this <laughs> oh year. Oh my god. Oh my god. We're doing all the bits today, huh? The Christmas is not a bit, dude. It's not. You love Christmas. You love Christmas. It's not a bit. And I'm already excited about Christmas right we're now. We're going back and we're redoing bits. This is a post-gym podcast. Post-gym, got my muscles pumping, listened to a lot of uh, dank VTuber music and also Power Wolf, this metal band that I am afraid is actually a white supremacist metal band. Uh, the more I listen to the lyrics, the more I'm like, are these dudes Nazis? I think these dudes are Nazis. That's how I feel like I am in the gym. <laughs> That's how you feel like you're in the gym. Are these guys Nazis? If we're bringing back old bits, is this the section where I bully you into not wanting to show your muscles anymore in the podcast because of how mean I am? Nah, bro, look at these babies. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because of all the shenanigans that have been going on in my life, if I have not been able to hit the gym as much. So I'm a little, I'm, I lost a little bit of my bulk. Got to hit it back up. Got to get shredded. I think scientifically you don't lose muscle cells. No, people lose muscles. People get less muscular. No, I understand you get less muscular, but I think similar to fat cells, when you have the cells, they either don't expand <laughs> or they expand. Dude, like, this, I don't we think can't, you can well, like, we can't talk about this. Neither of us know what we're talking about. You want to know what I found out while I was in Charlottesville? What? Did you know that arteries and veins are two different things? Yes, I did. Okay, well, I fucking didn't. Are you kidding me? How'd you know that? I don't know. That's like fucking basic 101. I, you learn how to do that before fucking watching porn. I don't know what to tell you. Okay, well, what's the difference between the two? The arteries is what the heart pumps the blood cells with oxygen into your body. And the veins don't even pump back to your heart. They just sort of vacuum back into your heart without oxygen. That's why they're two different colors. Are you like smarter than me? Is this what we're gonna? Is this episode gonna be the episode where we find out you're smarter than me? I've always been smarter than you. I just act stupid for the bit. <laughs> See, and I'm actually really stupid. I just act smart. I'm actually so fucking smart that I can know how to act stupid. How do you fucking feel? What does it say about me that I act smart even though I'm incredibly dumb? What do you think that means? It means that you're super lucky that even though I'm a terrible podcast host, as you always say in the podcast, that I don't call you out, so I allow you to be the smart guy. I understand, man, the Japanese comedy duel. <laughs> yeah, the straight man and the goofster. I will say, though, I thought it was like streams and rivers. <laughs> the arteries were the big ones, and the veins were the little ones. And I just, like, have vivid memories of taking anatomy and then playing Pokemon on my laptop while I was supposed to be paying attention in anatomy. Well, you guys didn't have tests. In Hong Kong, tests are, like, 100% of your grade. So you fail 
the test, you're just fucked. Is it just one test at the end of the year that's like, this is how you did? Yeah. Because in high school where I went, it was like multiple, and I'm pretty sure this is most schools in the US, it was multiple tests over the year. No, that's why Asians think US people are stupid because US people get a lot oh. of slack on their grades. That was basically me. I would study for the stuff that I thought I could pass and the ones that I couldn't pass, I just like, I don't give a shit. Well, I also, I had the advantage of like, I have the gift of gab and I'm like good at asking questions and then repeating what's been said back to me. And so I would just like do that in class for the class participation grade. And then like as soon There's as no I was class done, I would go get grade. There's no class participation in Hong Kong. Did you get good grades in college on tests and stuff? Uh, depends on which class. Whenever there was like a quiz or a test that counted for your grade a little bit that you had to remember things. I want to get perfect scores, but it came so much easier for me. Everyone else was like, this is the hardest thing ever. I had to spend 20 hours studying. I would look at it for like 15 minutes and then go to class <laughs> and it would be fine. But that mentality did backfire on me a lot anyways. I feel like I'm pretty smart. I just have gaps in my knowledge. Pretty severe gaps in my knowledge. <laughs> I'm like an idiot savant. Yeah, and people think Asians are stupid because all they can do is study. It's up to whoever decides what smarts and not smart is. I think you're very smart, Walter, when you eat chicken wings. Also, okay, here's one thing. True or false? Did you put a buffalo wing on your ball sack and then eat it? True. <laughs> but that's like not even a big deal. It's just wild to me. Like, did it hurt your ball sack? No. That's also why we did it. We were thinking like spicy food would like hurt the penis, but it doesn't. It does. Are you kidding me? I once chopped up a bunch of jalapeno and bird's eye chilies. And then when I was getting them into the bowl, I used my hand without something to cover my hands. And then I went and scratched my balls after I was done cooking. Dude, and it was, it would, it hurt. I was like, I could instantly feel it all over my ball sack, like the hot chili oil. To the okay, point but that doesn't where I went. hurt. No, this hurt. It hurt. Ugh. It like, it was stinging. I'm so you know? unconvinced by penis hurting from white people <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about what does that even mean okay because people say like blue balls oh my god it's so fucking painful i feel like this, blue is, balls this was is not like blue balls enjoyable like that feeling is the okay, best so feeling first, okay. in the world oh i god. don't get convinced by you. pain in the private parts i don't think it exists <laughs> <laughs> I hate you so much. I literally I had, had to the dunk. spicy dick too, and it's like kind of fun. I don't like it. It doesn't I hurt. Think it hurts. I'm well. well it's because you're a I fucking mean. masochist. Are it's because you're a pervert and a masochist. And no, you're just a pervert and a masochist. That's what it is. You're just a degenerate, disgusting little goblin. I can't believe this. I had to dunk my ball sack in a cup full with milk to deal with the ball I just pain. wait it out and enjoy it. I enjoy the vibes. <laughs> I surf the waves. I hate you. I hate you. You're such a monster. <laughs> All right, what stupid pretentious movie did you watch? <laughs> Fucking goddamn. Uh, okay, it. so speaking of bringing back bits, I'm bringing back two bits, baby. Okay, what are the bits you're bringing back? Last episode, you made fun of me for talking about my drug trip on weed, which was super embarrassing, and I'm still crying over. <laughs> yeah, your Joe Rogan style. <laughs> Funny enough. So, do you remember Ken Russell of Devils? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He made a movie about an academic guy who gets convinced his trips get him closer to the real truth of humanity too. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is Walter the movie. Is there is there a discreet 
section where he gets hot sauce on his ball sack and then he's like, oh, this feels so good. I love it. Oh, for 15 minutes. Nah, he, for someone who's so crazy as a main character, he does have a lot more sex than I do. <laughs> the film is called Altered States. Oh, shit. Are you kidding me? You didn't know it was directed by Ken Russell? No, I didn't know that was the movie we were talking about. That movie kicks so much fucking ass. Oh, damn. Then my fucking bit does not even work. I was going to ask you like some questions about whether or not this was my trip or this was the trip that happened in the film. To be fair, I watched this movie in high school, so all I remember is that people get so high they turn into cavemen. Yes, that is true. The main character gets so high he turns into a caveman. I remember it A, kicking major ass, and B, that happening. I watched it in my film class in high school, actually. What is my fucking next move? I guess we try to do this bit. One comes from the movie and one actually happens to me. And if you want, you can dramatically pause for the fucking fake degens to... Um, they're not fake degens, sorry, sorry. Real degens to figure out which one they <laughs> The real degens the right are, are the fake film fans. And then if it sparks up too many of your memories, it's going to be useless. But... It might still be fun. I will mess up. Oh, Walter, interesting. So is this a bit you tried to come up with that someone ruined? Interesting. I've never had that experience into my life while recording the podcast. Okay, there's a difference. When I get my bits (laughs) ruined, I think it's like fun. It's like, oh, God, I got to be imaginative. I got to think a little more. I got to be creative. Just do your bit. Got to use my brain. Just do your bit. Enough of this. Enough of this slander. You're slandering. I mean, slander. My bits are fucking ruined, Walter. How do I recover? My bits are that good. That's the difference. <laughs> so mean. So hateful. Do your bit. Do your bit, you bastard. Sometimes when I'm tripping, and I'm going to make this drug anonymous because I don't want to reveal what I do because all I do is Coca-Cola. And it's dangerous, I know, but I can handle it. And you it. put it on your ball sack and you say, oh, it feels so good to go on my ball sack. Yeah, I haven't done that yet, but... Actually could be a fun feeling now that you brought it up. No, I, I do think putting your ball sack in a seltzery in a, like a bubbly liquid might be interesting. Yeah, it's all interesting. And then you just parse out what you like or dislike. I guess what it is is you're right. It's more of a taste thing. So some people don't like spicy food like you. I, 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 okay, fuck you because I eat tons <laughs> of spicy food. I just don't eat food so spicy that it makes me weep, you bastard. Yeah, but a lot of people eat spicy food to make them weep. That's like fun. Oh, well, oh, Walter, do you like uh do you like getting stabbed in the thigh? Well, some people like knife play. Exactly. But so are you going to are you going to hate me because I don't want to get stabbed in the leg? No, no, no. I'm apologizing. Okay. Sorry. I put out the wrong tone. I'm apologizing to you. I'm retracting my mean statement and going, "Yes, there are people with different tastes, like you, who doesn't like spicy food. Get it? I do like spicy food, just not <laughs> on my bill sack. Oh my fucking god! That's like, oh, uh, you know, gasoline goes in a car, not like a smoothie. You, you shouldn't put spicy things on your ball sack unless I guess you like it. Yeah. So we have different tastes. I eat spicy food. I eat so many spicy foods. So you're drinking your Coca-Cola. You put hot peppers on your ball sack. Yeah, I'm drinking my Coca-Cola and I'm fucking tripping. Oh my God, the Coke, the carbonation of the Coke (laughs) is getting me tripping. Sometimes it makes me feel like I have diamond sparkles on my skin. So the sparkles aren't shaped like diamonds, but they feel like diamonds and they glisten on my skin. Or does it make me sometimes feel that I'm running through a black night filled with fireworks? I feel like I remember there being like black voids with fireworks in the movie. Yeah, it does. Damn it! 
Okay. 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 Doesn't work very well. But you know what? It's still fun to talk about exactly what happens in the movie. There's an actual scene where he's running. I'm pretty sure Ken Russell just gets a bunch of people off screen who just light fireworks onto him. It's not really fireworks, though. <laughs> it's like psycho stuff, right? It's not like firework fireworks. I mean, it could be. Who knows? It's a trip. I don't really know what the fuck it's supposed to be. The next one. Let's try this one and see if it clicks up a memory and then it's useless again. I tripped out of church before and it felt like hell. This film also has a hell trip scene. And which one was mine? Which was the films? What were you tripping on when you were in a church? Coca-Cola, my bro. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. So I, I've never done psychedelics. I'm, like, deeply unstable. And the idea of adding another layer of instability to my life is, like, very, very unpleasant to me. If you like it, that's fine. It's not my thing. I know some of the drugs Walter's done. So I'm just going to let it. I let it, I'm going to let it go. Sprite. Sorghum whiskey. Spicy balls. All right. At this church, what I felt and saw was a mix of a dimly lit environment and these small lights that sort of mixed in together like two currents hitting each other and creating these ghastly faces that I thought were people crying from hell or did I think the church was super claustrophobic and it felt like there was a volcano erupting lava onto this claustrophobic scene in the church. Just going off of sort of the themes of Altered State, is the volcano part the church in Altered State? Yeah, the volcano part is the church in Altered State. Well, yeah, because they're cavemen! It's like volcanoes, it's cavemen, it makes sense, it's themed. Uh, I just want to say really quickly, Trevor Moore, rest in peace, member of Whitey's Kids You Know, one of the funniest sketch comedy people, like, ever. He died that young? Yeah, um, and they didn't say how he died, so I have a feeling it was something unpleasant. But he has a comedy rap song he wrote called High in Church that's pretty awesome and pretty hilarious. I see. <laughs> so check it out, it's pretty funny. And my dad, who is an avid marijuana smoker and also had to go to Catholic Church a lot as a child, he's watched the video and he's like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what's pretty like. funny. If you don't remember that scene, that scene basically is a bunch of people filmed like a Hieronymus Bosch kind of painting, layered with a film, a red film layer. Like it's superimposed. Superimposed. And then it's green screened onto a volcano eruption. There, It's all superimposed. I don't know what I'm actually saying. It's all it's all happening at the same time. Yeah, and it's pretty. It's a pretty fun image. All right, should I give up? Because it seems like you No, give me the last one. Movie. Give me the last one. Because I got to prove how smart I am since I apparently didn't know the difference between veins and arteries. Like a fucking idiot. <laughs> idiot, idiot, idiot. Stupid. Don't worry. Two out of three is already a passing grade. You got this. In the US it is. Not in Hong Kong, right? No, in Hong Kong it's more about your rank. Even if you're like perfect A's, if you're the 41st in class, you technically failed. I uh, See, I was so bad at taking tests, I would get distracted. And then like next thing you know, the test was over and I wouldn't have finished all the questions. I just think it is environmental. And if you were born into Hong Kong, you would have had to adapt to something. Maybe you would have been considered a bad student, but you would have not complained. It's not an excuse. It's just the idea that, oh, I can get too distracted so I can't do a test. Would it be something that you could say confidently? That's right not now? access. Well, and to be fair, to be fair, I mean, the only reason I was able to do that was because I did good in other classes and I helped out around the school a good bit. So once again, you know, I'm just kind of a tortured artist, kind of a genius. I'm kind of an altered state. You know, I'm kind of like a caveman. All right, final 
one. <laughs> I saw a bunch of red ants crawl me, and I tried to smack them away, but I couldn't Ugh, get them off. That sounds terrible. Or I felt my skin grow into bumps, and I got scared they would pop. Oh, definitely. I remember the last bit, growing bumps. Yeah, I remember that. That's when he's turning into a caveman, right? Uh, no. It looks like it's about the caveman, but it gets revealed that the bumps are more about him getting to the beginning of humanity. I think the reason why he turned into a caveman is because he was on his journey all the way back, but then it got interrupted, so he could only stop Dude, at the Dude, you know what we should talk about? It. Also, we should do a caveman episode where we talk about Encino Man. I fucking love that movie! Yeah! You can bring Encino Man. I never stop you. Because you always say, Swade Best, you have to bring more pretentious films. More pretentious That is films. not true. This is actually what happens. <laughs> Swade keeps being like, dude, we gotta bring all these dumb movies to the podcast. It's funny. And then what he does, he just comes to this podcast and fucking talks about his life. That's true. That's not the dumb movie you're talking <laughs> about, man. I get your life is dumb, but it has nothing to do with movies. Oh my god. Well, I'm sorry I don't get to live in a castle. Okay, but I don't come to the podcast and flaunt about how I live in a castle. I'm sorry I don't get to live in a quiet inn in Osaka where I have beautiful ladies <laughs> dote on me. All right, all right. get into the movie i want to uh talk a little bit about the genre because normally i'm not going to talk about fucking genres and movies but since this is kind of your first post-war japan middle lower class japan film i just want to like dabble in it a little bit for anyone who's not too familiar it's like Shomen Geki, if you're an A24 Criterion Collection geek and you don't know what I'm talking about, you probably still have seen maybe an Ozu film. But I think the genre Shomen Geki might not even be the right way to say it because it seems like it was white scholars who called it Shomen Geki. It's like a made-up Japanese word. Yeah, it's not a Japanese term. It kind of feels racist, doesn't it? Do you think you can call <laughs> it just like slice of life? I mean, do you think like middle class post-war slice of life? Except it's a lot more sad and somber. If anyone is listening, you know we love Slice of Life on this podcast. I am not just a Slice of Life fan, because I am even more of an Iyashike fan. Let's throw these Japanese terms What is an Iyashike again? Is that cute girls doing cute things? Not really, because Ginko from Mushishi technically doesn't have a normal human gender, but he's definitely not a cute girl, and he doesn't do many cute things. It's more that you have good feeling in sadness, so it's like melancholy. Uh, yeah, like uh, like YYK or... Yeah, it's not like melancholy because melancholy is based on beauty and is anesthetic. But I think Yashike has something to do with healing. So when you're in a bad emotional state, you feel healed when you watch something comfy. Heartwarming without being saccharine. I mean, like Yotsubo we've talked about. That's an Yashike, right? Like your life, Suede. It's so inspiring. It's so... Like Andy Griffith. <laughs> Andy Griffith? The Andy Griffith? show oh sweetness and lightning sweetness and lightning is really good guys if you haven't read it yet read sweetness okay and lightning. this is two consecutive episodes where we just list anime, <laughs> <laughs> anime. one second let me put on my kimono and grab my samurai sword okay and eat your what, you, what was that stupid word you guys used to use never mind you guys used to call ramen ramen or something i don't know 
I think you just called it ramen. Whatever. I think I mean, we. Yeah. Idiot. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what the fuck? Are you talking about? <laughs> idiot. Stupid. <laughs> Who's the idiot now? Okay. Now I remember this ramen point. We only call a specific type of instant noodles ramen, but Americans call all instant noodles ramen. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard you. I've heard you drunk and like be very angry about this because it's like they're not all ramen, right? Some of them are like. Lots yeah. Of some different of them things, come like, from China. You're not gonna call the ones from China ramen. That makes no fucking sense. I would sense. never eat anything from China. I don't. China. Oh, too bad. You already fucking did. What did I eat? Maybe those frog legs that I bought, those were probably from fucking China. Where did we eat frog legs? I put some in the freezer and you took them all. <laughs> that sounds like something I would do. <laughs> do you remember when we went to the film festival and like, where were we? Where did we go? DC and then we ate a Chinese restaurant. I don't see how this is related to be honest. Oh, well, I had frog, I had frog kanji and this dude kept trying to fuck you. It was very funny. Walter was feeling particularly bad, like lonely. He was like, oh man, no one wants to have sex with me. And this guy's like, <laughs> well, just to let you know, Walter, small Asian men are very loved in the gay community. And it was like very, <laughs> yeah, I was very uncomfortable in that moment. Like as soon as it was said, everyone but this person was like, why did you just say that? I feel like if I was complaining about, oh my God, why does no one have sex with me? I was already being pretty cringe. I mean, yeah, but, and it was funny because your wasn't your ex there? No. No, they didn't come. Catherine came though, right? Catherine, shout out to Catherine. No, Catherine didn't come. Catherine didn't come? Really? No. <laughs> Did Donna come? No. <laughs> I was there with my ex. We had just started dating at the time, and so I was mostly doing a lot of butt touching. Oh, you know who came? Must have been Barney or something. You know, you must have went to Wonderland or Disneyland. It must have been. It must have been <laughs> Jugliang and Liu Bu. We watched a movie, Osaka no Yado, from 1954, and it was kind of a lot of fun. A little bit of a bummer, personally. Wow. Fun is the word that Suede decided to use. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I'm interested as to why Walter liked this, or why Walter wanted to talk about it. That's great, because not unlike many films from this genre, an in at Osaka is a character-driven story. So I'm also excited to talk about this film with you, because I think character-driven stories are interesting for a writing perspective. I know you say this is character-driven, but there are elements of this movie that seem very Walterish to me. Because it's character-driven, the plot is like really only there to facilitate character change, which I think is pretty interesting. The basic premise is that this guy, Mita, gets sent to Osaka because he slapped his boss in the face. And the reason he wasn't fired is because his grandpa was kind of important for the company. Slash, maybe he started the company. I don't remember. And he's in this little inn that's like very impoverished. And it's just about the struggles people have with money, specifically women, and how it is kind of a really negative factor in existence. And you meet some different characters. You meet a young girl whose father is deathly ill, who refuses to seek medical treatment. You meet another young girl who's very willing to sleep with other people for money and has like no issue and seems very happy, if not a little silly, because she just like gets to do whatever she wants. You meet a sort of sadly conniving woman who's trying to get money because her deadbeat husband won't get a job, who it seems like kind of has a thing for Mita, but you know, can't be with him because he loves her husband. You meet so many different sad ladies. There's a lady who like can't quit her job because she needs it, but like she just wants to go see her son and she can't get a day off. You meet a geisha who's forced to do geisha shit. And that's not true. She, she's not forced to do geisha shit. She's like, I don't know. She embraces but, but they, it with a type of inevitability. Yes, she embraces it because she and, and Mita have the strongest relationship as far as like they could end up together goes, but he says well, they're from different worlds, which I wasn't quite sure what that meant. I mean, because geishas are not like prostitutes, right? Uh, 
they can. They can be, but she didn't seem to be a prostitute, right? Perhaps, but I do have opinions on this different world thing. Okay, we'll talk about it. Basically, it ends with Mita going back to Tokyo because he's pissed off the Osaka boss. And he basically just says, <laughs> we need to be able to laugh at how sad we are all are. We're all sad right now because I'm leaving and for other reasons. Yeah. But we just have to be able to laugh at it. At the end, they all sing a song and Mita's not singing and everyone is like sad. And then he joins in and everyone is like less sad because he's like really <laughs> a part of it. Very literary movie. You know what actually really reminds me of Jennifer Egan? She actually came and spoke at Goucher while we were both there. She wrote, Welcome to the Goon Squad. Totally fantastic collection of braided short stories. It feels like a collection of vignettes. It does not have a traditional plot arc. Within each vignette, there's a, a minor climax. When he goes to the girl whose father's sick, the final climax is like, oh, her father's dead, but she's not going to give Which up. Which is a great scene because when he goes into that house, you just see a bunch of chicks quacking. And yeah, next to a dead going, man. Quack, 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 quack. And then she descends down the stairs after you realize he's dead. But she, she's actually the hero of this film. She's like drastically important because what she says, I think really informs the last bit of the film. Because Mita's thing is like, we all need to acknowledge that we're sad and laugh about it and that we'll, we'll be fine. We'll keep on moving. And when the girl comes down and Mita's like, what are you going to do? She's like, I'm going to keep living. And then at the end, you see a train, which I assume is Mita's on going. But as the train passes, you see the young girl again, who's now cutting cans to make a living. And she's like, not stopped. She's like, keeping going, even though she has no one now. It's like, really pro humanity maybe in a not a, an amazing way because it's like we just have to keep doing our jobs Th this is not a movie of like throw a cog in the system for social change this is like just keep doing it that's the human strength and this does go with a lot of different types of post-war japan films but i do think when i use the word inevitable that's like a very important theme that i don't always receive from western literature and the fact you meet so many broken women no matter how many types of different personalities different environments, different things, each of them still represent a sort of inevitability that the social society of post-war Japan will lead you to. And yeah, you can make changes, you can adjust, you can hope for something a little better, but there's this inevitable sadness that grounds you and stops you and you just have to keep going as you say. You can look at each of those female characters and explain different types of ways of how they accepted it and how they didn't accept it, which ones decided to be clever about the system and which ones decided not to be clever about the system. But in the end, the film would direct you and be like, yeah, but all of them are still in the same place. They're all still kind of moving forward. M moving forward, but not moving forward to anything better. Just moving forward, like moving closer to the yeah. grave. <laughs> I think you can see that in some American media. Not that like you're just going to keep pushing forward, but like an inevitability. But it tends to be a little more tragic and it often has to do with race. There's more consciousness in the Western context. Like, I recognize that the social thing is too hard for me, so I accept it or I deny it. There's usually a typical character moment where the character's like, I am either accepting or I've lost. But for many of these female characters, they don't make that active decision. Or at least they're not vocal about it. The film never goes, hey, female, let me hear your active decision of accepting or denying it. In Of Mice and Men, American classic by John Steinbeck, there's a moment where George makes that choice. George, right? It's George who shoots Lenny. Or is it the other way around? I don't know. Okay. Is it John Steinbeck the, the, or George Steinbeck now? <laughs> is it? <laughs> George Costanza? Is it George W. Bush? Uh, no. Dude, I've been reading Baki, by the way. There's some wild shit that happens with the presidents. Because in Baki, there's this character named Hanma Yajiro, who's like the strongest being on 
planet Earth. Not in like a crazy way, like he can kill tanks. He's just like so strong, he can take anyone out, including like getting to the president. And so every time there's a new president in the United States of America, the president has to swear fealty to Hanma and be like, I promise you can do whatever the fuck you want. And so they did it with Trump. And then for the Biden election, the whole beginning is Hanma Yojiro sleeping in the Oval Office while Trump is like, you, you can't take the oath with Biden. It's not his real presidency. He can't have won. You have to trust me. I'm the real president. And then he goes to wake up Hanma and Hanma like knocks him unconscious and is like, I'm not taking the oath today. This little fucker woke me up. I'll do it later, President Biden. I don't know. I don't know if that's like a, a political statement or anything. It's just like wild. <laughs> There's another bit where like Hillary is sure she's going to be president. Hillary like says something and Hanma's like, I'll have sex with you. And she's like, oh, like, <laughs> it's just weird. It's weird. It's also the gayest manga you'll read without any gay sex. It's like almost got a um, Robert Maplethorpe level of fascination with bodies. Anyhow, Steinbeck. So in the final scene, there's a choice there. And in this movie, even the, the woman with a deadbeat husband, she got fired for stealing from the inn. She's like, I'm going to kill myself. My life is terrible. Mita's like, I'll help you. I'll help you. And he brings her to his geisha friend. And it's like, hey, can you give her a job? she's gonna run away and she's not gonna be with her husband anymore and she's like yeah 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 sure and the, you know they, they introduce her and stuff and like later on in the film it's like oh no she's still with her husband she got a different job even when she attempts to make the choice to change things she just returns right the inevitability returns yeah and Mita's the best example of this too because you keep waiting for him to make all these friends with these women and you think he's gonna bring some type of happiness to save them he doesn't he just loses his job in Osaka and returns back to Tokyo when he he can't even because the reason he loses his job is because his boss is like such a shithead that through business dealings makes this other guy kill himself and it's also the guy who kills himself meets us like into his daughter and he's like telling the boss like you got to take care of this family like how could you do this and the boss is like no and so then his geisha friend gets mad and just dumps Saki on him and it's like <laughs> Mita actually doesn't ever do anything I guess it's pretty intense that he like tells his boss that he needs to take care of the family and stuff but it's not like he dumps the Saki on his boss's head and you could say this might be a difference between a movie and a book thing but when Mita finally decides to like pray to his boss it almost comes out of character and he can't control it rather than like he makes this rational decision this is the time to set it up and it's it's extra interesting that there's no reconciliation with the daughter who he's kind of sort of vaguely he's like in love with her maybe he's like met her a couple times he thinks she's cute at the end his friend who's also worked for the business and has now quit is like oh that girl that you really liked she's not here at your goodbye party and he was like well you remember my boss made that guy kill himself that was his daughter and everyone's just quiet <laughs> everyone's like oh oh shit also to the woman, though. Also the to I the like women, though. Where are my ladies at? Holla at me. All the ladies in the club. You, mean you want their digits or you're trying to be... I'm getting, a... I'm getting them hyped. I'm getting them hyped. All the ladies. Oh, okay. I'm going to tell if you're trying to be sleazy or you're trying to be a feminist. <laughs> Neither. I'm trying to get them hyped. All the ladies for the ally, podcast. Ally. Is a hype man an ally? Damn, that's actually such an interesting question. Because ally sort of makes it sound like you're on the same level, but hype people are underneath you, right? Um, I don't know if they're underneath you or support. Is, like, your healer underneath you or is your healer support? I don't know, a healer feels like it's on top. Okay, because to me, a, a hype man gives you, like, buffs. Oh, okay, okay. In real life, healers are on top because they know more than you, so you kind of have to rely on them to live. But in video games, healers are definitely the bottom. That is why the joke is support healer, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
I think a hype man could only be a hype person. Excuse gender and gender neutral language. A hypester, if you will, is only an ally if they're hyping you to do good things. Because there are also hypesters who are like, you definitely need to bang that rail of coke right now. <laughs> I had a buddy who we used to make do really stupid shit, and we would hype him up to be like, take a bite of a raw onion or like snort a line of tums. We were definitely not his <laughs> allies in that moment, but we were also definitely trying to hype him up to do things. Dude, you have never been an ally to anyone. Now I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> never never you only hype people to do stupid shit <laughs> i'm just like the geisha from this movie man. she never hypes him to do stupid shit does she 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 hypes him to like fucking tell his boss he's an asshole you want to talk about gender stuff i mean like if you're a woman in this movie you don't get to stop you have to keep moving forward another thing that happens is there's this really sweet woman who wants to go see her son, but she basically just can't ever because she's always working at the inn. At the end, she's like, I really want to go see my son. And I thought she was going to be able to go see her son. But then the matron lady is like, no, even a dog is grateful for its master or some fucked up shit like that. And she can't do anything about it. And at the end, she just goes to this party. She's just moving forward. You know, Meat says Lucky and that he gets to go back to Tokyo. You know, he gets to sort of stop. But like all the women in this movie, even like the shitty matron, because the matron, it sucks for the matron because she has to like go against her late husband's and hers like philosophy because like she didn't want to be a brothel kind of place, but she has and to. And she actually makes that decision in a well-placed heart because she wants to cut off from this guy who's being terrible to the end. Yeah, and the, and the women that are in there. She's putting one foot in front of the other. I mean, I think it reflects a reality, dude. The less money money you have the more you have to just put one foot in front of the Uh-oh, other. call out. Call out. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, no, but I mean it's it's true, right? Not to like harp on it, but like, you know, things have been rough in my zone a little bit, but I still had to go to work. I couldn't like hang out with my dad all day while he's worried about his brain surgery. I have to like go to fucking work. And I am really lucky that people who listened to this podcast helped out along with some really other wonderful people so we could like pay for some of those stuff like the fucking surgery which oh my god fucking dude healthy care in, in the US is like so fucking broken it's fucking insane <laughs> what is healthcare like in Hong Kong is it free yeah I think so uh sorry <laughs> oh yeah of course little rich boy doesn't know it ain't free in the u.s fucking it is not are you asking for more money for your gofundme is that what you're implying no no i'm not i mean i mean if people want to get i mean fucking it helps i mean like i said my dad's the one who makes the most money and he's not gonna be able to work for a month so help out if you want that's how it works in real life you know you reach a point in your adult life where you just like can't like i'm very lucky my boss let me have the days off to go with my dad. The same thing with Rocky. Rocky actually really lucked out. One of the people he works with who's in charge has been in a similar situation and was like very okay with letting him take a week off. But, you know, there are a lot of places where you wouldn't be able to do that. There's this idea of putting one foot front in the other as like an ugly truth. The people who choose to not put one foot in front of the other, either their lives totally change or they're in a space where they can do that, right? Yeah, but at the same time, putting one foot in front of the other is always also subjective. For example, we gravitate to the geisha in this film because the geisha seems like she's really on top of her shit. Technically, though, she is the biggest alcoholic in the movie. Oh, yeah, no, she is. Yeah, she drinks the most. She has a substance abuse issue. Yeah, so if she was not narrated in that type of style in the movie, she is not putting her foot in front of another. As she admits, she just drinks it away. 
Well, I think the other thing is the movie's not saying you have to put one foot in front of the other to get to a better space. Just like you have to keep being alive. But it also kind of says that everyone does it even if you tried not to. Mm, That's what I, I mean by I like it's a little you. inevitable and it's not so much of a choice that people make. Yeah, that's what this movie says. What I'm saying is in reality, there are two things that can happen when you stop putting one foot in front of the other. Your life has changed usually for the worse or you're rich enough to where it's fine. In reality, this is a binary. Those are the two options. And I can understand that is true, but I'm just saying an alternative also is to look at that and be like, even when your life is ruined and as long as you're not dead, technically your feet are still moving forward. If we're not talking about moving forward as a better place, because I think a lot of people would view the geisha if she was like a friend of ours, like, yo, you're done or something like that. And I think a lot of the people that you would think in reality that hasn't put their foot in front of one another are the people like this geisha who just drink their life away. No, that's true. You know, that's why you crack open a beer at the end of the day at work. I mean, like, something to take the pain away, which I, I don't know. I think it's like sad. Yeah, and I think the geisha's life is sad. But for her, it's inevitable. And your decision to use the word choice is a perspective. Because maybe there isn't a concept of agency in putting your foot forward. And this film is not heroicizing, but it's trying to make sure that you don't think the geisha's decisions are 10 times worse than all the other characters. I think the only person who does okay is the one who has nepotism. The only reason Mita isn't, I guess, fired again is because of his grandfather. Everyone else has to keep putting their foot forward. No one in the movie has rooms to make mistakes. <laughs> That's <Mita>. me. <laughs> <laughs> you calling me out because I actually think Mita is a very interesting character that a lot of the call outs against me are very applicable to Mita. Nepotism, richness. So what do you think about Mita as a person? So Mita is like actually a solid dude. When I was first watching this movie, because I thought this movie was going to have a traditional narrative arc, things were going to get better and Mita was going to like be the boss at the end and like make everything happy. Speaking of off the podcast, there was that Christmas movie we watched that we didn't do the episode. Mr. Mr. What was it like Mr. Zalomsky? or something? Fitzwilly? Fitzwilly. I thought it was going to be like Fitzwilly, where like by the end, everything's good. I was even thinking of alternate titles for this movie, just being called Mita's a good guy. Because Mita's just like a good guy. He sells his grandfather's watch and then like takes the ladies out for like a fun time and he doesn't try to fuck them. And like when he catches one of the in ladies stealing from him, he like does not squeal he like gives her the money and he's just like upset and he he looks off into the distance and it's like money ruins everything which i mean we've talked about that a little bit i don't know if we talked about it on the podcast and i don't feel this way you have stated that sometimes you worry that are and you can take this no no this is exactly what i want okay to talk this is about. this is okay wait you, you said that sometimes you worry that our friendship is clouded or complicated by the fact that you've like bought me things which i don't feel that way because if i was in that same position i would be doing the same thing uh yeah and this is actually great to really dissect it. It's less about the money. It's more about the class. There's an idea that if you buy something, things, they owe you something. And I'm less concerned about the owing. I'm more concerned about the power structure and, to quote Mita, the two different world thing. Oh, so that's what he's talking about with the two different worlds? I think so. This is why I find this movie so fascinating a little bit. A lot of people come out of this movie being like, Mita's such a great guy. I am not a great guy like Mita. Let's make this clear. But I definitely you, think you, Okay, Mita one is... second though. You are a great guy. You don't have the emotion 
emotional intelligence that Mita does. Okay. <laughs> like, if, for instance, you were in a hotel and, like, a woman stole something from you, you probably wouldn't tell on her, but you would probably be just, like, look at her like, uh... Uh, and then if she sent you a letter that was like, I think I'm going to kill myself, you would probably just be like, uh, uh, hide in my room. and you wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, you would hide. You would hide. You'd be like, I'm scared of this. I am scared. <laughs> but you are a good guy. So I do think Mita's a social tourist. Here's are the two biggest examples of social tourism. One, his nepotism allows him to come to Osaka just for a little bit, and then he's going to go back to Tokyo. Two, probably the literary example, the writing example, his crush is not them. His crush is a well-off woman, and in some ways, he could get married with any of them and help their lives a lot. His crush continues to be his old sort of elitist bourgeois, different world. Who he that never he speaks to. They meet each other at the post office, and he meets her when he goes to see another business. It is crazy to me that he did not end up with the geisha. She was great. If I had a woman like that in my life, I'd put a ring on it in a heartbeat. Mita really just omits his social tourism right there. We are different worlds. And while I understand he's a good guy, those are not kind statements. And I think all the women around him know this. So while the women in this movie are nice enough to Mita to not call him out for that bullshit, those women could have called him out for that bullshit. Yeah, but he also helps them out a ton. He helps the one woman out a ton. He gets her a new job away from her husband. You can still call someone out when they do that stuff, though. That's true. That's and they true. do. They do call him out, but not vocally. Let's talk about that girl because she's a great example. The stealing scene. And he's like, oh, you don't have to steal from me. And he kind of just shoves money at her. It's actually very condescending. She's like so embarrassed, so guilty. And in my interaction, when I do something like, oh, I give them money condescendingly or something. Wait, like have that, you ever actually done that? I'm sure there are days where I'm like mad at you guys and then I buy you dinner. Yeah, but <laughs> I guess like you're such a small, weak little goblin that like when you throw money at me, it's like, oh my God. It's like watching a toddler punch you in the leg. It's like, what is this? You can't do anything to me. You used to get super wasted and talk about how rich you were and then you'd buy a hundred wings and like cry and then pass out. And I'm like, how am I supposed to feel like I've been taken advantage of? How am I supposed to feel belittled by this sad little man? Okay, here's a passive aggressive thing I do. When people ask me to split the bill, that can piss me off sometimes because I'm so used to paying the whole bill or someone paying the whole bill for me. My reinforcement of like, no, we're not splitting the bill. I'm just going to pay the whole bill is a passive-aggressive statement, I think. No, 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 fuck off. You know who thinks that? Rich people. People who are rich, but not as rich as you are. Like, if you go to a restaurant where you'd want to split the bill, it's already too expensive for someone like me or, like, other people. And when they're like, I'll pay for it. If you are rich enough to be butthurt about that, or if you are if you are proud enough to be butthurt that someone is buying you a meal, you are clearly richer than some people. Like, fuck off. No, no, no. I think that's horseshit. Uh, unless they're being shitty about it. Unless they're being like, ho, 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 well, I'm gonna pay. Oh, yeah, that's what I do. You don't realize how much I swag No, you when don't. I you totally don't, <laughs> Dude, fucking Mita is not doing anything that fucking, like, swag when he does it. I He's know. trying to be I... genuine. It's not like, oh, this guy's bad now. It's just like, eh, the way he delivered it wasn't the best. I didn't take that as a class thing. I took that as a he was hurt thing. He thought he'd made a genuine connection and this woman took advantage of him in that moment. But it's Mita's fault they can't form a genuine connection. I felt the movie blamed Mita a little bit for the weird tone of that scene. I uh, see. I took it as them blaming money. But then again, I think this comes from different perspectives because my family's not destitute. You know, I, I had a burger today from a fast food joint. You know, I let myself have that. But I'm definitely closer to the to the maid character as far as class echelon goes than the Mita character because he would have given it to her if she'd asked. You know he would have. But in the end, 
it's parallel to when he brings her out and they're like having a lot of fun. She's a bunch of smiles. But this time, the way he gives her money makes her feel so guilty and shamed. Shouldn't you feel? I don't know. That's a complicated question. I feel like you shouldn't steal from people. <laughs> Did I tell you my identity got stolen? No. Dude, it's crazy. <laughs> I'm sitting upstairs, like playing PlayStation in my underwear at three o'clock in the afternoon. And then my mom goes, Swade, there's a cop here who wants to talk to you. And I go, wait, what? She goes, yeah, there's a cop here. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Okay. So I put on pants, put on a shirt and I go down and it turns out to be my neighbor who's the cop who lives behind us. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, hi, officer. And he's like, so did you ever open up a bank? And I go, no. And he's like, okay, well, someone took under your name did and has been skimming money off the government has been like taking unemployment. And I was like, oh, well, I didn't do that. And he goes, okay, well, why don't we go to the bank and figure it out? And I look around, I'm smoking cigarette and I look at this cop and I'm like, all right, man, I'm going to be real honest with you. If I get in that car with you, are you going to bring me to jail? Like, is this going to be, because I had a buddy once who (laughs) did something shitty and then the cops came to say like, hey, you need to sign something because you did something shitty. And then instead of him being at a place to sign something, they just put him in cuffs and sent him to jail. So I like looked this cop in the face and I was like, am I going to go to jail if I fucking sent your car? And he's like, nah, man, if that was the case, they would not have sent your next door neighbor. They would have sent a cop who doesn't live near you. So I just drive with this fucking cop to the bank and oh, you want to know what else is funny? I was talking to the cop in the car. I'm like, sorry if you ever hear weird stuff. And he's like, yeah, sometimes I hear you screaming at birds. And I'm like, yep, he is my neighbor. (laughs) Apparently some asshole had gotten my social security information, which is, I don't know how he did that i mean it's pretty easy how you just leave your social security number all over the floor <laughs> dude my social security card is like tacked up on a cork board because i can never remember the yeah code. it's probably actually one of your friends <laughs> well, dude, and you want to know it's crazy this is how like little my family knows about things i close this account the next day i go into work and i'm talking to my boss and she was like well you you know you canceled all your accounts and you like froze your assets and stuff like that right and i was like no what are you talking about and she was like suede there's like a bunch of shit you have to do now and i was like my parents didn't tell me that i didn't know that don't you know arteries and veins are different yeah basically but here's why i brought that up i had no problems with this man or woman or person whatever stealing money from the government in my name until he got caught so like if you're gonna like skim money off the government like yeah like what do i get i don't give a fuck dude fuck the government and their fucking shenanigans but once you get caught that sucks for me because then i have to do something about it or i get in trouble that's the police anyhow i feel like stealing from a faceless organization is not a problem even banks like the money's insured if like you know someone and you're like close with them i think it's pretty fucked up to steal from them even if i was destitute i would never steal from someone i was friends with at least i'd like to think i wouldn't i can't imagine doing it to where it's like if i was destitute or i like really needed to do some stealing yeah i'd steal from a walmart yeah i'd steal from a kroger because like who fucking who gets hurt but i would feel pretty guilty if i like so i don't steal because i've never had the need to steal really the closest i ever came to being that destitute was in college actually that was after walter moved out we couldn't get walter to pay for everything we couldn't anymore. get a hundred wigs anymore yeah so we had to go to the college food bank i've never stolen anything not because i'm like holier than now but because i'm afraid if i steal things now i'll like use up my stealing points and and then like when i actually need to steal something i'll have used up the stealing points and i'll try to steal and get caught. i feel like we've all stolen each other's french fries okay that doesn't fucking count, dude <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. So I get what you're trying to say about this stealing thing, but I think it just feels a little too focused on money as a material good. I kind of think it's unrelated to my point. I just think that Mita's, if you look at every interaction he has with every single woman, 
It's money related. He does some, it's not just money related. There's always an implication that he doesn't view them as equals. And I'm, I'm actually a little surprised. No, no, no that you're right. There's definitely a savior complex. There's definitely like a, I'm doing the right thing. I'm helping you. That's out. why I don't think those women ever connect with him. Like they like him a lot and they really appreciate him. But I don't think they ever connect to him in that way. That's so we're best friends. And I don't think he ever allows himself to get there. With the exception of the geisha who really but he want- still calls her. We're from two different worlds. Right. Exactly. Even if they can like have the same level of financial stability, they're not from the same class and he just can't be with her, right? So it's not just the money stuff. It's also like the baggage that comes with the money stuff. The fact that she's had to make her money and she has to keep making her money and Mita kind of has wiggle room. Another really interesting example is his interaction with that girl with the dead dad. What happens is he gets called out for buying a fake blanket or it's clothes. I can't remember. A kimono. He goes to the girl and his interaction with her is like, oh, you brought me something fake can you help me pay me back he doesn't really say it because Mita's so passive he is like you that is what would happen if you bought something fake (laughs) Tori would be like fuck this man this is not real fuck that we're going back we're getting your fucking money back I mean Tori probably wouldn't either Tori wouldn't give a shit someone would I actually have a good example Mia bought an iPhone in Hong Kong with my mom's money and she brought it back to America we didn't know this iPhones are geographically locked so you buy one in, in Hong Kong it doesn't fucking work in the states can't you the phone or, or something well no because iphones you can't put sim cards in them can you actually i don't know yeah i fucking i don't know dude and how much money did that phone cost how much how much money did that phone cost well <laughs> i don't know man <laughs> i don't look at the receipts when i use my parents dude, money I'm fuck sorry. you <laughs> fuck you a phone is like at least 300 dollars. you asshole you absolute monster okay whatever fucking rich people okay. so we're at the store and she's like yelling at the guys to help her fix this and the guys are like no we can't technically they made a bunch of excuses but i think they ended with the excuse that there's no official flag store in hong kong which was not true we bought it from an official flag store i think what they thought is because we bought it from china and hong kong we bought it from one of those fake places so was like walter tell the man that we bought it from a flag store and i was like yeah, we bought it from a flag store. <laughs> <laughs> and this probably went on for an hour. Oh, I think Donut. was nearly in tears. And I'm just in the corner trying to ask them to fix the phone whenever I'm asked to in the most Eeyore tone. Finally, she calls her dad and her dad fucking talks to this guy. I don't know what her dad fucking said. <laughs> well, her dad's kind of scary, right? Her dad is like a little bit scary, right? Yeah, if he's, I remember correctly. he's like a gym buff bald guy. Yeah. yeah, like blue collar, a little bit unstable, kind of free. <laughs> the yeah. guy, like after talking to his dad for like 10 minutes, he reconsiders, thinks about some things and then goes, you know what? I didn't realize Hong Kong had a flag store. But if like... <laughs> gave up i would have been like yeah let's just buy a new phone or something like yeah that. pretty much pretty much let's just buy a new phone <laughs> fuck me <sighs> god move back to roanoke fucking pay for my but life the thing please. about that story in the film though is he returns the cloth and the girl is like oh shit i got ripped off in order to pay you back, I'm going to have a hard time. And Mita immediately regrets it. When this is after he watches all those religious people like screaming and waving branches. This is what I mean. He's from a different world. His good intentions a lot of times come from a hope of like not hurting people. But he doesn't understand where they come from. I, I think he's a good guy. Don't get me wrong. But I think he makes the same mistakes that someone from my class or like his class naturally. And naturally is a shitty word to say. But no matter 
how friendly or how nice or how great I might seem to be or Mita might seem to be, don't trust us 100%. We can do shitty things to you. In the same way, like white privilege with black people, men with women. It's just like every interaction he has with those people always implies he has a little bit of a different world. And I think for Mita, it's like even worse because I don't think Mita ever really tries that hard to close that gap in a very intentional and passionate way. He actually recognizes that gap and wants to keep it that way. And I think the one time it actually happens is when his disillusion is like at the maximum of his world. We just don't see his world so much, so it gets a little lost. But as you said, when he finally loses his crush... He gives this space to everyone that's like, hey, we're all alien and we can actually be in the same world of completely depressed and smile at it. That last line that you said. Yeah, we can all laugh. And that's why they are so happy when he decides to sing with them because he finally attempts to breach that gap between their worlds. But he only does it because he's leaving. If I can be honest, you've mentioned that you sometimes feel like the class stuff has interfered with our relationship. I don't see that. I think our relationship transcends class boundaries. I do know for a fact sometimes my lack of Chinese knowledge and my like white zone caused bumps in our friendship, has caused bumps in the road. Sometimes I get the feeling, and I'm sorry for... The woke culture is great, and I think it's real, and I think it's amazing, but I do think sometimes woke culture comes out and undermines class a little in a very specific way. So I think that's why... I'm more comfortable calling you out for your white privilege than maybe you are calling me out for the rich shit I do. The rich gaps I create. What, but see, my thing is you're so small. You're so, like, of course you're going to do this. This is the only thing you can do. You can't fight. You're not funny. You're not mean. You're not devious. You're just like this, like, sad little man who throws money at all his problems. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> How mean is that? Is that the meanest thing I've ever said no, to you on the no, podcast? No, honestly, it's actually very nice. <laughs> I'm happy, despite how much I feel like I can put gaps in because of maybe class or something in our friendship. We're good enough friends that it doesn't feel that way for you. So I really am happy for that. Well, because I know, like, I give people shit. Like, I give people things. I buy people food. Like, if I can do it, I'll do it because, like, fucking, why not? Like, why am I going to hoard all this shit for no good reason? If I have an extra five dollars to go buy a slice of pizza why not make it ten dollars and get a slice for like my buddy and i know you do that for me when we're together like you've taken me out to places you bought me packs of cigarettes you fucking helped us out so hard with the rent when we were living together it doesn't bother me but i could see how it could bother some people well it's also how i was raised we were always raised in my household that money's not that big a deal it just sucks when you don't have it so we need to make sure that we have enough to survive and like that's always been our relationship with money if i'm not in a situation where i need that tuesday money i'm probably not going to do it because I'd rather I'd rather enjoy myself with people I care about than like work more and the only real difference actually is at the bookstore I find myself picking up more hours not because I'm really worried about the money though right now I, I am you know right now I am having to make more money in past instances where I've been at the bookstore the reason I pick up extra hours is not because I'm all that worried about the money but because I care about the bookstore I'm also really lucky that like I could not live on my own like with the amount of money I make it would be very hard to live by myself I am really lucky that I get along with my family my mom my dad my little brother that they let me live here that they don't charge me all that much money for rent so I I am really lucky in that regard but again I, you know I could get a second job and I could make enough money to move out but I'd rather just be um happy. I think from this thing you just said you still really the class thing too much with money. The class thing is not just a money thing. It's my lack of comprehension for your situation. 
you just seriously tried to relate to me with that rant just now. And as a friend, I'll listen to you. But let's be fucking real. My relationship with money is completely different from yours. Like, I live through my parents, and I don't need to pay rent. And two jobs? I don't even need one job, really. That doesn't mean I don't care about you. All I'm saying is that when I care for you, it doesn't necessarily completely come from the fact that I understand your situation. And you are talking about, like, this money thing and how you can relate to me because of that, which is why you don't judge the actions I do. But I think there are some things that hurt you that we don't vocally blame on class, but we could. I think some of the actions... It sucks that we have to keep bringing up, like, you were genuinely pretty mad at me and frustrated with me the way I interacted with you about maybe your dad or when work is, like, too fucking busy or something like that. And when I don't give you that type of empathy that makes sense to you, you're like, what the fuck, Walter? And I think there is a bit where we just pretend that I'm, like, stupid and it's like, oh, he lacks empathy. He's dumb. But to be honest, it is Mita being a dickhead and, like... Yeah, you stole from me, and I think I understand you, so here's some money. But, like, without the understanding of actually the reason why it's about money is her situation, that's what I mean by our relationship. I think there are gaps because of class, and and every relationship in the fucking world has gaps. Look, I'm not saying, like, ours is doomed because of fucking class. No, 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 that's exactly what I was saying. I think there's some, like, East v. West, White v. Asian gaps from my perspective that I see that I sometimes feel guilty for. Like, when I... <laughs> you want to do a racist accent? Like, when I, when I say... <laughs> Don't eat my cat. When I do a racist accent, I say, get away from my cat with those chopsticks. Or when your mom sits me down and asks me some deep questions about China. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I'm just saying like, it's not really the physical stuff. It's the amorphous stuff. It is the empathy thing. There are moments of where I don't give you the right emotional support and emotional space that if I was working a day-to-day job and fucking needed the money like you do, I'd probably be able to do it way easier, and I'd probably give you that energy way easier. And even if I gave you that energy right now without that day-to-day job, you wouldn't fucking believe it. You're not going to be like, oh, shit, this guy really understands where I'm fucking coming from. No, but you try. And you Mita do try. try. Yes. <laughs> I just don't want people to think you're an asshole. Like, I mean, you are an asshole, but not oh, in that fine, way. Dude. I just love you so much, man. I just love you so much. <laughs> look, look, the reason why we're talking about stuff like this, and this is why we get into like really honest shit on the podcast in this type of way, is because we trust our fucking listeners not to be dumb ass them. fucking people who listen to one tweet lines yeah, yeah, yeah. and make decisions about people. This is respect. We're multifaceted. We're complicated. We're not perfect individuals you know (laughs) yeah exactly so don't worry about making me look like an asshole because in the end it's important because if i can't ever look like an asshole people will only hear a relationship in a twitter line experience that's when people get to hear that i'm an asshole and how you overcome it wow one applause for suede for overcoming walter's ass i'm talking to you right now (laughs) i suede best i'm talking to you walter saying and saying that you have developed skills of dealing with like sadness and empathy at least with me that like i do appreciate like i see that thank you thank you i love you so much and i love you for a lot of other things but for this specific thing i'm honestly just like super fucking grateful 
And this is why, like, Mita is such a fucking cool character, right? You asked me, like, what I love about this movie. I love so much. I love all the characters in retrospect. Watching them go into shitty things is a little hard sometimes. But in retrospect, all these characters remind me of relationships. They don't really remind me of people. And it's complicated. The relationships are not just, I love you. It's like, I love you, but we're friends, but we could be closer, but we could be further, but... talked about this movie in terms of class but i'm wondering also what you would think about in terms of old japan and new japan sort of the western japan and post-war japan and like how these big events create social destabilization but i will admit of course we're not gonna know enough about japan to really make concrete statements about this so instead this podcast is gonna be will be is already a very honest and brutal place for controversial ideas that we don't necessarily believe in but we like exploring them because we think a lot of people are scared of exploring yeah i may tell you not to put this i want to compare to the south losing the civil war no (laughs) well no no oh no dude we're gonna get canceled what are you talking about no you can't touch that with a 10 foot pole okay here's the only thing you can say about that almost all of the south's infrastructure economically was based on slavery including railways in the north they had a whole lot more railways because there was more commerce and there was more trade (laughs) so the only thing you could say about destabilization in the civil war from an economic perspective is that like the south was making money doing something evil and then they couldn't do that anymore so they got (laughs) fucked up economically (laughs) i can't say the south deserved it but you can't be like you can't be like man poor south people they they had to stop doing slavery and so their economy was destroyed. <laughs> you can't say that! <laughs> Germany's fucking economy tanked after World War II when they fucking tried to genocide the world. <laughs> no one's like, man, the poor Germans. Everyone's like, yeah, fuck Germany! Okay, but the only reason why you guys are like poor Japan is because you guys dropped two fucking bombs on them. I think it's way harder to find someone in China who's gonna be like, poor Japan because of the stuff they did. Yeah, the Chinese have their own issues with the Japanese via World War II and the events leading to World War II. What's that fucking movie called fucking men behind the sun this is like that torture porn it's on fdupmovies.com about the treatment of the chinese we should do an fdup movies episode where we just like talk about our favorite movies on that website yeah i'm down except are you sure you're not just gonna talk about your life again <laughs> dude this is it's a jumping off point to talk about our life we want people people are friends with us they want to hear about our i lives. do not give a shit that china and japan are bad relationship i do not care that the japanese did war crimes to china before i'm not talking about that I'm talking about lately, I've been interacting with more and more Japanese people that are like super proud of Japanese nationalism. And the first time I heard those words, I was like, ooh, isn't that like being proud of Nazism? However, watching this movie, it reminded me that when you lose a fucking war, the ideal that you fight on that war becomes the whole ideal. So in this movie, the movie promotes traditional Japanese values in a positive light, question mark, or at least it's like, oh, I miss these. I wish they were still here. Can I say really quickly, I don't know a lot about Japan's history with China, other than that I know rape of Nanking is a thing. Okay, that's fine. You don't need the knowledge to have 
have this conversation. <laughs> yeah, but that means I have to trust that you know what you're talking about, which is something I am very hesitant to do. We need Slough on the podcast for this. Bit. I'm not talking about history here. Okay, I have no okay. interest in the fucking history. But I think writing, I'm not a writer, right? I'm not the craftster here. But I think this film is obvious enough in some of its writing techniques. Each of these girls also symbolize that. The best example of that is that girl whose dad dies. When her dad is alive, she's being pulled by her dad because her dad is part of this traditional If you want to talk about craft, it is not shot in a way where it's supposed to be positive. When you see it happening, this is not the like little old priest like praying over someone. It's like weird and loud and a little creepy. It's not like like the Western documentaries who go into Zen Buddhist temples and are like, wow, look how beautiful everything is. But the thing about that sect that's really important that I think is interesting, the sect drives her into prostitution. So it is the traditions that drive her into looking for a style of, say, more modern Japan. And I know prostitution is not Western. It's not like Asians have prostitution. Prostitution is also the oldest job. Yeah. But I don't think the film implies that, oh, the sect just drives her into a traditional job. In fact, she goes off from the traditional way and then moves into this new world of Japan. She only does prostitution once that we as the viewer know of. After that, she ends up working in the scrapyard. I actually think it is a traditional job. This is before her dad dies. She goes back to this age-old job of like young women sleeping with older men for money. And then once her dad dies and she no longer has to deal with the sect and she's freed, she can go to this new, more modern job where she, is a woman, is working in like a place that does a lot of manual labor. There is definitely this transition that you're talking about. And I, again, I don't know if it's old Japan versus new Western Japan, but it is definitely a change. The death of her father frees her in a lot of ways. Well, then the other example would be that modern girl who sleeps with a lot of men and they call her a modern girl, right? All the other workers call her a modern girl. She's the one who adapts. So the inn goes through a phase where they delete the boss. They want to be a brothel instead. Because originally it's like, no, you can't just have random floozies having sex in the... Like, they turn away a married couple because they think they're just going to have sex. And then the matron decides, like, nah, we got to make this place where prostitutes come and have sex with John. Yeah, because they lost their funding. But that modern girl, she's the one who is able to quickly adapt to it. So that's why I feel like there is an implication. Not that prostitution is Western, but if your attitude towards prostitution is accepting, then you're like part of this sort of modern mentality. Do you think you could even maybe say that modern Japan is one that is to adapt? That a post-war Japan is an adaptable one? Well, adapting in a very specific way because you can argue that all the characters are adapting in some ways, but a lot of these characters, when they adapt, they're adapting away from the way to make money, that the time is changing to move those things into more capitalist entrepreneurships. Underlying that, though, is that you actually can't do it because you lost the fucking war. Those traditional values that you care so much, too bad. They're too tied to your World War II statement of trying to imperialize Asia. The only reason I don't think that is comparable with the North and the South, it was literally a war about like whether or not we're allowed to have slaves. World War II, mad complicated. Japan's relationship with China, all that shit's mad complicated. The people who fought in the Civil War were not necessarily fighting for slavery. But the reason in the war was happening was because of slavery. Japanese nationalism I think like the thing you're talking about makes a little more sense to whereas if you're like I'm proud that I'm from the south and the south lost the war what you're saying is 
I think we should still have slavery. <laughs> like that's that's why I think they're totally different. But I do think what I mean though is that some people are unable to understand that because they lost the war, that ideal that they're saying like I care about sovereign traditional values. I'm sorry, you lost the fucking war. It means you care about slavery. People are unable to parse that out. People say that they're unable to parse that out. They can. They're just not willing to admit it until there are no black people in the room. And I think the other bit is like everyone didn't get together and say like hey, that's a problem. Like there's a reason why no one's like man the germans won the war we're proud to be nazis is because everyone was like no dude this was fucked what you were doing this whole like concentration camp thing was fucked (laughs) the slavery thing was fucked and i think a lot of chinese people if they heard a japanese person being super proud of their old culture they would view it as fucked I just think you have to be careful about romanticizing Mita's philosophy. And I don't think the director really tries to do that because I personally think Mita's being a good person is a bait. But I know you disagree with me. And I feel you might be representing a lot of viewers, which, in my opinion, would mean that romanticizing is a little bit of a bait. Because I'm not annoyed that the Japanese people feel this way. And I actually think there's a lot of interesting stuff about it. And watching this movie especially made me be like, I understand why having Japanese traditions getting destroyed by imperialism is annoying. Actually, that's probably the best way to put it. The reason why you start feeling sympathetic to these characters is because this new progressive way is not theirs. It's the Western imperialism coming in and taking it away. But I guess the America conflict doesn't have that. Yeah, because I said this, I'll say it again. (laughs) Because the only thing you could say, man, I wish for the South the way it was. It wasn't like they were like, oh man, we need to start having gays get married. Or we need to start like fucking having free sex or whatever. It was literally just like, hey, you know these people who are definitely people who definitely exist? I don't think they're people. I think they're like human property and I want to keep abusing them for generations and generations. I'm making the Civil War seem like A, way less complicated than it was probably with like political stuff going on and B, also making it sound like the North was like this great moral high ground, which is not the case. I mean, it still sucked to be black in the North. Talking about these Western traditions infiltrating Japan is very different because the main thing that was lost during the Civil War was that you couldn't have slaves anymore. That was like the thing that stopped. Okay, so I regret bringing up the fucking Civil War. It's a terrible fucking example. And even though I think I really got schooled here, I think it's really important to flesh this out because unfortunately, America, international people don't view conflicts the same way you guys do. What I was really fascinated about was really just war erases values and makes one value, an ideal, a loser. And yet this film shows that loser value and almost retains it in hopes that you care about it. And I'm guessing with this comparison to the Civil War, what I'm starting to realize is the only reason why that works is because the so-called winner value is actually imperialism, which is why you don't love the winner value as much. But I still think you have to be a little careful about romanticizing the loser's value in this case. Because when people say like Japanese pride, you could be like, hey, I'm anti-imperialism. That's why I don't like the Western values that are coming in. But no, because of imperialism, you have to move not just from, oh, I'm anti this. You move into, let's get back to the Japanese pride. Well, and I mean, you fucking see that in America. Are you kidding me? You get people who are like white nationalists. There are people trying to do this thing you're talking about in the United States. They're just terrible. I don't know. Do you think I'm exaggerating? No, fuck. These people are terrible. No, I don't think you're exaggerating. In fact, you 
you make me feel like I haven't been critical enough to the South. I feel like I'm a fucking white nationalist talking here. Dude, but I'm Walter, just trying to use Walter this as a white nationalist example. saying over here. <laughs> Walter Sundowntown saying. Because no one imperialized the South after the war. I think a key element is that it's not a civil war. Everyone admits that the Civil War was like a fucked up war, that like it's brother against brother, that it was like a bloody, brutal, violent war. But like there are still people who are like, yeah, if we hadn't dropped the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the Japanese would never have given up. I remember having an ethics class in high school trying to debate whether or not it was good whether we dropped the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and leaning towards the fact that it was good. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that seems fucked to me. In the moment, I was like, yeah, I guess that makes sense because like this cool older guy was telling me it, but like it's pretty fucked up, Dude, right? The Americans are so stupid though. If they didn't drop the bonds, they could blame Japan for now. We could still be saying, wow, Japan, you're so good. Yeah, they fucked over China. <laughs> now China can't complain about Japanese. That's an actual take I heard when I was young that the US dropped the bombs on purpose so China wouldn't get any international valor. Uh, since we're on a roll with these shitty takes that we heard when we were young, people used to tell me that the Chinese Civil War killed way more people than the Japanese ever did, which I think if you look up, it's not true. When was the Chinese Civil War? Literally a year after the Japanese left. If you want to know like a very, very brief history that I don't do justice with, the Nationalist Party did not want to fight the Japanese, even though the Japanese were like fighting against them. So we were like, who cares? Shit, let the Japanese conquer us. We don't care. We want to kill these communists first. Finally, one of the Nationalist Parties betrayed the Nationalist Party and then was like, no, you got to start fighting the Japanese, dude. We need to unify and fight the Japanese. So they unified and then fought the Japanese and then it was a standstill. For a while, the Japanese were just like, boom, 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 boom. It's because the Nationalist Party wasn't even fucking fighting them. When the war ends, guess what? The Nationalists and Communists fight again. And the leader of the Nationalist Party technically was probably correct in his way to maintain power. He should have eliminated the Communists before he started fighting the Japanese because now he lost to the communists. When that, that ushers in <laughs> now. And it's so easy to kill more people in the Civil War because when you have casualties on both sides, they're both Chinese. So they both boom. count, right? Yeah, they if both count. We kill the Japanese, the... they ate us. Yeah, it's, dude, that's so fuck. It's so true. Yeah, it's it's true. We should go to Japan and like you get a sword and I get a sword. You try to attack the Japanese people and I will try to protect them and be like, I will protect you because of what we did to you. And you will be like, I will destroy them because of what you did to me and my people. And like we have an epic battle. Oh, and then we represent history. But also secretly we fuck all their wives. Consensually and lovingly. Do you think it's fucked up consent wise? How fucked up do you think it is to cheat? What does consent have to say with the person who's being cheated on? I know this is totally out of left field. Oh, dude, I don't know about consent. That's like a very weird thing. I don't like the betrayal. I don't think cheating is morally wrong. I don't think it's that bad, to be honest. I think it's pretty normal. Okay, so first of all, every time you see a hot babe, you shouldn't be like, oh, I'd like to put my wiener in her or whatever. But we are human beings with desires. In the same way that, like, no one's going to think you're an asshole if someone makes you angry and you say, I wanted to punch them. It's just an emotional response. That just happens. So I, I agree. I Like, every relationship I've ever been in, I've also had thoughts and fantasies about other people. And I think that's fine. You probably shouldn't bring it up too often. My conversation with people who also agree with me that cheating isn't very bad stems from the idea of that betrayal. Some of my friends friends think when you're with someone you really love you have to have some secrets to protect them are you saying that these people think that the issue with cheating is not the cheating in and of itself but the getting caught yes okay personally i think that's pretty fucked that's like i've been like fucking stealing from this little old lady but it's fine they don't realize it like no that's fucked i think it's fucked up to do something that you know someone else would hate if they knew you were doing it 
It feels wrong to do something over and over again, knowing that if you got caught doing it, the person that you're spending time with would be upset about it. That's like the thing about the word cheating itself. Cheating itself implies the betrayal. There's something about cheating that inherently doesn't feel so morally corrupt, except the fact that the word embraces that betrayal. Well, okay, so here's a solid example. I think it's crazy that people are getting canceled for cheating on their wives. It's like weird to me. Sure, you're an asshole. You're a dick for doing it. It's like none of anyone else's business, right? Like when you do like a Harvey Weinstein or a Roman Polanski or like Sweet a- Sweet best. If you <laughs> Don't put that on my name. I ain't never done nothing <laughs> like that. Fuck off. <laughs> Like, there are people on the internet who I, like, watch their media who've got canceled for, like, cheating on their spouses. And I'm like, man, it's not any of my fucking business. I love that point because what you're making me realize is that when you ask me, is cheating wrong? The reason why I'm having these conflicting feelings is because I'm actually almost answering the question in two ways. And I didn't even notice. Well, it's also complicated, right? Let's say, who do some, who's a someone we both love that's, like, in media? Tyga from Toradora? Okay, that's not a real person. <laughs> All right, let's say, okay, that the author of Yotsubato cheated on his or her The tiger wife. cheated on your Yuji. I don't okay, think I can handle stop that. Stop it. I'm going to punch you in the throat. Okay, but if it was just the author who was cheating on their husband or wife or whatever, you don't have the input, the knowledge to know why that cheating happened. If Tora Dora cheated on Taiga or whatever, whatever, I've never fucking read that. I don't fucking know anything about it. You would be upset because you know the, the intricacies of their relationship. Conversely, if you found out the, the author of Yotsubo was cheating on their partner and the reason they were doing it was because they didn't care about their partner's feelings and were an asshole, that would be very different than like, hey, I cheated on my partner because it was like this complicated spur of the moment thing and I couldn't, which is very different from like, oh, you raped someone? Nah, there's no like, well, there are nuances to sexually assaulting someone. To be honest, though, I don't have many conversations about cheating with men because a lot of times when you get into a conversation about cheating with men, it does just feel like a excuse. So you stay away from those conversations. The other thing is we don't hang out with dudes who are cool enough to cheat on their girlfriends. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> we don't we don't hang out with that echelon of dudes. I can't believe we just admitted that the only reason why men don't cheat is because they're beta. That's a little fucked up, right? <laughs> well, dude, I have done some... I've never, like, had physical congress with another person who's in a relationship but i've like definitely received and like done some weird conversations and stuff with married women um and women in relationships which is like totally <laughs> shitty it's only happened to me once or twice i was talking to this woman over the internet whose like whole thing is she really likes cheating on her husband and she, so she has a lot of extramarital affairs but she also just loves sending pictures and talking dirty via the internet okay to be fair i only talked to this woman for like two or three days before i started feeling really guilty so it's like oh my <laughs> god my grave's getting deeper what the fuck no 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 i'm being more no i'm being more honest i dude i wish are you kidding me i wish i was a cool guy who was a cuckold is that fucked up that i definitely want to have sex with people's husbands husbands and wives because in some ways it's a celebrated finish to have sex with married people people think it's like cheating no one's gonna be like cheating is a fetish that's like that's a thing a cheating fetish okay Never yeah, mind. <laughs> clearly you've not read enough hentai dojins. Yeah. That's like the whole NTR thing. I don't know. That NTR thing, dude, is so much more complicated. Than okay, that. <laughs> well, I at least know one married woman who has a cheating fetish. Yeah, so if anyone is into cheating woman, we'll drop her. We'll fucking drop her Discord. That's going to be the title of this uh, fucking podcast. Cheating woman, if you want, click link. <laughs> I really did feel bad. That's happened to me a couple times, and I, I usually do feel guilty after it happens. I realize what's going on. You're just flexing. 
flexing. I'm just flexing, dude. I just, I mean, I did definitely flirt with all of my male friends, girlfriends a lot in high school. That's an interesting question too. Can you flirt with your um, friends' girlfriends? Because I feel like most people do that. And then the boyfriend will always come to their friends and be like, hey, do you have a crush on this person? It's okay if you do. I just want to know. And everyone will always say, no, I don't. Oh, but no, I would be like, yeah, no, I totally would have sex with them. Like that was my move in high school was like, yeah, 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 no. <laughs> I think it was just so obvious for everyone, including myself, that it was never going to happen. That it was just like, <laughs> Did you think about cheating because your stereotype is that all Asians cheat? No, I was thinking about this because we were talking about, because <laughs> we were talking about having sex with people's really? wives. <laughs> I don't even know if we were talking about that. Uh, uh, okay, whatever. <laughs> this movie make you want to go stay at a nice old-fashioned Japanese inn? Ugh, you want me to be all fucking honest? I feel like when you watch anime or movies like this where the Japanese inn is so romantic, one of the reasons why is because all the relationships seem really sick. It feels like this place where you're outside of the world and you can form so many good relationships or something close to that. The issue is in today's modern world, it's so fucking hard to form relationships with people like that right now. So. Uh- Maybe for you, shout out, I, I, there are actually two people that I don't remember their names. One was the lady who's like always, she works at the hotel we stayed at, the one that's like five minutes from the hospital. And she looked out for my mom. She like asked me how my dad was. I was like having some stomach issues while I was there because I was feeling very nervous, which makes me get ill. So I was drinking a lot of ginger ale and she like just gave me a ginger ale for free. We like talked a little bit and like as I was leaving the hotel, I like said goodbye and she's like, thank you, you know, and it's like, I hope your dad gets better. And I'm like, yeah, you will. So I made that connection, which was nice. It wasn't deep or complicated or anything, but it was nice. And the other was the day my dad went in for surgery, I was feeling... No, no, no. It wasn't the day my dad went in for surgery. It was... He had woken up, but he was really having trouble communicating. His brain was, like, totally freaked. He was, like, not saying words and stuff. And I was, like, freaking out. So I did not go see him in the hospital. I just, like, walked around downtown Charlottesville. And I actually found there's a restaurant that used to be in Roanoke that moved to Charlottesville. So I went and ate there. Marco and Lucas, if you're ever in Charlottesville, they make good dumplings. They, that's all they sell. They sell like cold noodles, fried <laughs> yeah. dumplings. Go and to steam fucking buns. Charlottesville to eat Chinese food, not fucking China. Don't go to China. <laughs> I don't know if you even call Marco and Lucas Chinese, but it's good. They were selling those like steamed buns, those like pork buns that's like all pillowy and they've got like the red pork. Yeah, on the, the mac and cheese of Hong Kong. But food. again, they're from Roanoke, so both of the dudes are Latino. <laughs> <laughs> because all Chinese food in, in Roanoke is made by Latino people. But so I, I kept walking and I like found this like random homeless dude. He was like being back in Roanoke. I was like, holy shit, I'm fucking back. He told me a lot about his time as president and his time hanging out with Muhammad. A lot of different crazy people shit. But the whole time we were just like talking and it was like fantastic. And it just like made me feel okay. Because sometimes when I talk to people like that, I don't know if this is fucked up or if this is privilege or whatever, but I, I truly feel this way. I feel like very connected to people whose connection to reality is so like tenuous. Because my, I feel that way about my reality. I like feel a kinship with this dude. And I was able to like sit there and chain smoke with him for a little bit. So I think what I'm saying is I think I could go to a sweet Japanese inn and make connections with all the people who worked there. First of all, they don't speak English, so... I say tomodachi, tomodachi. <laughs> That's what I'd say. And they would be like, yes, you are my friend. Konnichiwa, tomodachi. I don't think it's privileged to relate to homeless people because you're like a part of that world. People like me and Mita who are actually privileged 
we don't feel that kinship at all that you're talking about. And we blame everyone for that, even though we're the ones who put the gaps into the relationship. It's not that I don't agree with you. I think it's that because of how different our perspectives are, you see him as problematic where I don't. Like when I was in the scene where the woman steals, I was not thinking about Mita. I was thinking about her and her need to steal. And then like her being like, no, I'm not going to steal from Mita. I'm going to put it back. I was totally thinking about it from her perspective. And you, of course, were, were thinking about it from Mita's perspective, which I think says, again, says more about our point of view than the movie itself, which I, I think is also a hallmark of a good piece of art that two people can get two different things from it based on their perspective, not based on the like lack of control used when the thing is created. I wonder how much times you felt like you've been a social tourist i don't feel this way but you could accuse my interactions with the homeless people as being social tourists. yeah but that's what i mean you don't feel this way so i wonder how many times you felt like a social tourist in a situation uh when i'm in philly so how did you interact with that for me personally when i feel like a social tourist i just kind of do it i'm just aware that if i do something wrong i allow myself to get called out for it and i wait till it happens i don't like to put myself in those situations that that's kind of what i mean there's like a difference there right yeah, but now you want to know what I would do? I would go find a homeless person to talk to them. And I'd be like, oh, here we go. Here are my people. Not because they're homeless, but because they're like living in the same sort of reality issues that I, I often find myself But in. how would you do that in like Japan? Oh, yeah, I have no clue. That's what I would be, right? I would be a tourist if I went to Japan. I wonder like because you don't do too much. As you said, it's a different POV, right? Mita's social tourism or like you don't notice my social tourism as much either because you haven't really been around yourself being a social tourist yeah because i really don't like it makes me uncomfy it makes me uncomfortable <laughs> to be it in makes that me uncomfortable too dude. but you just being do a it social you tourist just do is it. uncomfortable well and i've done it in roanoke because there are places in roanoke and the surrounding areas that have way less money than i do i wouldn't call myself a social tourist in those situations because this is from where i'm from but like i feel that way every time i go into the asian food market every time i feel like a tourist. <laughs> every time i'm like oh here's this white boy but it's because it's the only place that has the spicy chili crisp luckily everyone there is also a tourist i've not seen a single asian person at that store <laughs> i have actually again it's usually latinos i see in there i i'm still i think staying at a japanese inn i think i phrased it the wrong way are you attracted to the idea of like staying at a, like a nice old inn where like people like bring you towels and stuff like that because like i'll be honest with you i have been in a nice hotel once in my life it was with my ex, and I was getting ready to break up with them without realizing it. And so I spent most of the time vomiting. That's the one time I've been in a nice hotel. Dude, you just need to leave your fucking country so you know what I being a tourist is. I can't leave my country. I can't. I can't get on a plane, Walt. I'm afraid. This is the class gaps that I'm giving you. Get on a fucking plane. It's easy. I got a prescription for Ativan, so it's fine. Yeah, it's not going to work. I already given up. Every single time. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm sorry i'm so bad at traveling i'm gonna do it i'm gonna go to baltimore, <laughs> go to baltimore wow. hang yeah. let's just make this clear from roanoke to new york city suede can't make that trip and he unfortunately can't realize he can't make that trip until the day of <laughs> but i'm working on it i'm working on it me and my shrink are working on it next i'm going to richmond after that i'm gonna go to baltimore and also, also celine's in richmond on and she bringing less stuff on your fucking trips you don't have to bring a fucking suitcase 
for a day trip, just so you know. I did not bring a suitcase for a day trip, motherfucker. I brought a backpack. I did, however, bring my blanket and my three pillows that I use every night to the hotel. Because I, I, why would you not want to be comfortable? Because I'm not comfortable at home anyways. You don't have like a pillow that like cradles your neck the right way and stuff like that? No, I don't know. Sometimes I sleep and I'm like too cold. So I'm just rolling in bed too cold. See, I just grab another blanket. I have perfectly situated to be comfortable. Do you have wet bathrooms? Do you know what that is? A wet bathroom? Looks like the bathroom that Meat is in where he's getting washed. All of the floor has got a drain in the middle. And so you can like spill water anywhere and it's fine. It's all to be made wet. I was just really attracted to that that idea. I like watched a a video of this Vietnamese uh, lady talking about her wet bathroom at her home. I was like, man, this looks nice. Dude, you don't need that Vietnamese lady to wash your body. You can do it yourself. I don't want her to wash my body. I want to be able to like, (laughs) dude, you remember when we lived together and I would get water everywhere when I get out the shower because I don't like to dry off. So the floors would always be Did that annoy me? Did it annoy you? I don't know. It annoys my mom. I don't think I ever fucking really noticed. <laughs> you did get annoyed when I would take your towels, though. Yes, that would annoy <laughs> me so much. I think I'm possessive about some items, and I hate sharing them. So, like, my mom's very anal about the way the laundry gets done. When she's sorting it, she's like, hey, is this your or dad's shirt? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I, very often my answer <laughs> is, I don't know. Because I wear it, but it might not be mine. I wear a lot of my dad's clothes. I wear a lot of his shirts, a lot of his pants. I think my lack of home makes me more anal about my personal objects. Because that's how I define my personal space. I have a friend who's said something very similar. One of the ways that she feels really at home is by the art she puts on the walls. And she says that's what's always made her home because she's moved around so much and she's always been all over Loser. the place. Loser. <laughs> no, fuck off, dude. <laughs> Myers, by the way, so much better at helping me out when I was set. Maya helped me out so much during so many rough times uh, in a way that you could never be there for me. Just fucking be a father, man. Take that baby and raise him, her. Maya's an adult. Maya's older than I am. So? So you want me to raise Maya? Maya has a kid, doesn't she? No, Maya does not have a kid. I thought she came to class pregnant. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? No. What the fuck? Did we have anyone who we went to college with who was pregnant during college? I thought it was Maya. No, Maya was not pregnant. Maya was never pregnant. What the fuck is wrong with you? Just making up things in your head. Well, this does ruin the romantic comedy that I had planned for you Dude, two. can you imagine if this was a romantic comedy? That's what I wanted this to be, by the way. I was like, Meet, I want you to end up with the geisha or maybe the cute lady who works in the inn. I, I want you to adopt the girl whose dad dies. This is like all those harem art animes where I'm like, he ends with the best girl, but I still feel bad for all the characters. And he also doesn't end up with any of the girls. <laughs> I've already thanked people, but I'll thank people again. Thank you for helping out with my dad. I thanked thanked a bunch of people in the previous episode. If you donated anonymously, please send me an email because I would like to thank you, even if you don't want like your name right on the podcast or whatever. Just like timeline wise, I'm actually recording this. Today is, is this too much? If I, am I revealing too much behind the curtain? No, you can reveal behind the curtain. Rest in peace. We're all very sad. (laughs) No, no, don't fucking say that. (laughs) You fucking asshole. Such a dick. We're recording this on the 19th. My dad came home on the 16th. 
he's doing really great. He's walking around. His brain is working pretty well, it seems. He's doing some PT, some physical therapy, and some occupational therapy just to get his strength back because he was in bed for like fucking six days. But things are going really good. And part of that is because there were people who helped oh, out. I love staying in bed. <laughs> if you really had to stay in bed for six days with like no movement, you would be like so fucked. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I need my computer. Yeah, but you would also, like, get up to pee and get up to drink. They, like, didn't want him to leave the bed. Oh, okay, okay, fair, fair. I, I apologize, but I'm pretty close to loving it. Yeah, you are. You are pretty close to it. <laughs> when I used to drink, I really liked the idea of being able to have an intravenous IV at the end of the but night. But we never did it. Well, no, of course. Are you kidding me? It's insane. No, fuck that. No, tons of people do IVs after hangovers. Maybe not the same shit that your dad was putting in, but you can go and buy IVs. At like, And a lot of them are like recharge stations. That's what they sell themselves as. And most people do it for like hangovers or exercise. Nah, dude, fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that. I mean, you're talking about infections. What if a fucking bubble gets in there? It's a medical fucking place. If that shit happened, that thing would have been closed down. Like oh, so you're not saying you go home and do it. There's like a place you go to get it done. No one told me that was an option. You know why I actually know that? When I uh, tried to have a copywriting business on Upwork, someone made me write the top five places to get IV treatment. I think every city has these. That would have been nice. Are you kidding me? Some of those days you wake up and you're like, fuck me, I am dying. Yeah, I think they open them near the universities because they know like students get hangovers and that's like their best business. This is why you figured out there's arteries and veins. <laughs> I just fucking realized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, literally, literally. That's like why I figured it out. Because you were panicking about putting oxygen into the bloodstream and I was like, what the fuck? Why is he caring about that? The doctor probably gave you very specific rules. <laughs> okay, yeah, so thank you guys for helping out my family. Oh, also, uh, shout out to Maddie. She came in the store. It was pretty funny. I'm, like, watching her son, like, slowly become more adult. It's, like, very weird. We're, like, able to have conversations now. He's jumping off of things less, which is chill. <laughs> I appreciate that. Maybe you listen to the podcast and so like... Did I do that? I got to mature. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently he listened to the episode that Maddie was on. But now, you know what's more important? Helping out the podcast. <laughs> Share it with your friends. Like it. Tweet it. Put it in a bird's mouth and throw that bird in the sky. Write down the URL and leave it places. Just help us blow up. I wanted to quick shout out Jake, aka at Zebra Herds. I posted a meme about Dancers in the Dark. And Jake said, this film actually traumatized me. No wonder Bjork was done with movies until the Northmen. Uh, I agree with you. I find it pretty upsetting also. Jake's my friend, by the way. Oh, you know Jake. Shout out to Jake. We hang out. You hang out? Okay. Do you have any Christmas wishes? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about Christmas. I forgot. Really excited for presents. Really excited <laughs> for the Christmas tree. Really excited for Santa. Let's go. Let's go. Merry Next Christmas. Next episode, we'll talk about Christmas again. Yeah, we'll Merry talk about Christmas. Christmas. And remember, if you're going to watch a movie, go ahead and do it with the lights on.